This episode is brought to you by The Cruise of Thrones. Find all the details and reserve your spot at cruiseofthrones.com and join us as we explore Westeros. Hey everyone, and welcome to another Game of Thrones Tower of Babel breakdown. As always, I am Julian Muche. I am joined by Daniel D'Souza. Hey. And we are here to rewatch and review Season 1, Episode 2, The King's Road. And uh, if you're new to, to, to what we do here, um, we are in the middle of a rewatch of Season 1. We just did a big crowdfunding campaign for our season seven uh series and we thought with a little bit of the extra cash that we got from that we could afford to do this rewatch which is something we've been planning to do for some time um so here we are to doing that now uh follow us on twitter at tower babblecast if you want to keep up with the latest updates on the show uh when it's coming um and if there are any any delays or anything there shouldn't be um but uh, that's the best way to keep up with anything like that. Uh, Facebook.com slash Tower Babblecast is another great way to keep in touch with us. And uh, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That's actually super huge. Uh, it's probably the single most important thing that any fan listener can do uh, for us. So let's get into <coughs> episode two, The King's Road. And, um, and once again, I don't know. I, I... It probably goes without saying, but we need to show out the caveat that the full spoilers for up to season seven. Yeah, I just mean, in case yeah. anybody was confused about that. Right, obviously, it's hard to rewatch something that, um, you know, like in context without talking about the seasons that come, right? Yeah. So, again, season one, episode two, The King's Road. And for me, and we usually save our final thoughts t- to the end, but this is, the rewatch is kind of a slightly more relaxed format than, we, um, than we've used in the past. And I'd say that this episode's a little uh, all over the place for me. Um, did you have any, do you have any overall thoughts before we get into the, the, the nitty-gritty of scene by scene? Um, <clears throat> I, I definitely see where you're coming from. It does jump around a bit, and there's some that kind of feel – not necessarily like wasted scenes, but it's like, why are we showing me Danny getting off a horse? Like, I get it, she's sore. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the first scene, actually. But there's not nothing really else going on there. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to put myself in the place I was when I first watched it, and I do think this is one. This episode, specifically the scene between uh, Robert and Ned on the King's Road, is one of the things that sold me on the show. Yeah, it's such a good. Scene. We can that's talk about that when it comes scene. up. Yeah, I, I was, I was when I was putting together my list, and we we haven't been picking our favorite scene for a while. We kind of. Sit, we kind of we we do it and we don't. It's kind of off and on. Kind of just do whatever. Yeah, whatever happens. Um, <laughs> but like, if I had to pick a favorite scene for this this week, it's that scene. It, it's yeah. such a. It's it just has so much context uh, and, and foreshadowing, and um, acting's amazing. Anyway, let's get into this first scene. And this first scene is where exactly? It's uh, is it at like Vostothrak, like their home home base? No. No, it, it's just in the, the the Dothraki Sea. Like they're on their way from Pentos to Vice Dothrak, mm. but they're pretty far away at this point. Okay, and Jorah and Cersei are kind of having a little chat. And I gotta say, I miss kind of Jorah's um, constant like encyclopedia <laughs> of world facts that he always has. I feel like this uh-huh. first season, especially, he's just kind of like he's just there to be like, "Well, did you know?" And like, "Well, <laughs> actually, you know," when something comes up. 
which actually I think is it's fine. I just think it's it's cute that it it changed so much um, later on. He does kind of serve that role, but it it works because Daenerys is is as ignorant of that world as the audience yeah. is. So you kind of need him to to narrate a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the world will. So he talks about kind of like uh, like the, the Dothraki like doomsday prophecy, which is like this special grass will cut, will grow on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's grass with these people. Yeah, jeez, grass and what was it? Grass and horses, right? So horses, they eat horse yeah. and uh, ride horse. They ride drink horse, fermented yeah. horse milk. To like as a drink, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Like that's that's their whiskey. You gotta you know? sound. It's gotta. That's gotta taste not good. You gotta imagine. I don't think any kind of fermented milk is probably not gonna be very <laughs> good. Uh, and then, like we do this like pan shot where we kind of like see Dothraki culture, which is obviously very heavily influenced by like Native American culture, like overtly so, right? Which is fine. Yeah. I also, sure. you know, you also get more of the, the language that we hear a little bit in the first episode, but it's just impressive to think back that they created this whole language for this show and they were, or they had it ready to go from season one and like how much work it goes into that. Right. I know you're a big lingu- like linguistic fan. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do think it's, it's actually, it's very impressive. They, they, um, with our sponsor last season, one of the things we got in our boxes is a little. Uh, little card that gets you access to the Dothraki online course and I started taking it and then I haven't got back to it. I still will. I know I will, but <laughs> I mean, there's only a handful, like a bit. there's only a handful of lang- like made up languages in the world that people like take really seriously. Obviously one of them is Klingon, right? Mm. One of them is, uh, this, uh, the Dothraki kind of language. And then what's the other, like Elvish maybe or something well, from Lord of the Rings. And in, in, you were talking about Tolkien's Elvish and there are yeah. two different, uh, dialects there's quenya and guys, we don't actually need to know we don't actually need to know that <laughs> <laughs> but would you most like, people learn cinderin i believe is there another like is there another language made up language that comes to mind when like that is widely used and like even practiced by certain people because i can't think of anything else no not off the top of my head that's pretty cool though that they were able to, like that's a pretty massive feat in my mind yeah and uh so jorah is actually having another conversation with uh I don't know who he's talking to now. I can't remember off the top of my head. Danny's sister, uh, Danny's brother. So, and uh, we actually have Viserys. Viserys, exactly. He's had, and he's talking about his history, like how he ended up there. And I think this is the only time he ever talks about it overtly. Like he talks about, like you know, I sold to slavers, blah blah blah. Um, and like obviously he's ashamed of it and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I, after that, like it's, I, I think I forgot for a long time why he did it until I started talking to you about it because I was like, yeah. it's just that one scene really fast and then it's over. And then it really is never brought up again. He ever, he talks about how he was banished and stuff, but he never talks about why. Um, <coughs> so in this first episode or in the first episode, he t- says he's from bear Island. And in this one, he talks about why he's not there anymore. And then after that, it's like, pfft, we don't hear about it again until he meets John <laughs> um, in season seven, basically. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know. I feel like it may pop up a couple of times this season, but after, definitely after season one, it's like that, that information it's done. You know that now we never talk about it yeah. again. I've, which is for it's weird for me. There's always certain like little backstory things for certain characters in any series. It's um, probably like like canon stuff and like reading side stories and like reading the Star Wars books because I like getting this background information. And it's like I actually really like that little piece of history that Jorah has, but we never really explore any of it, which is kind of a shame. Um, but I mean, maybe we'll get more of that later um, in season it's eight. It's one of the things that helps kind of. Um 
put the pieces together for you at the beginning when you're just first entering into this this mm-hmm. world that you don't really know because George over here he's explaining why he's exiled and from where and then that ties into Ned Stark it's like okay now I have my bearing I know how this guy and this guy relate and why this yeah. happened so it, it like it helps form the larger picture anything else you want to talk about this uh the scene before we move on there's a lot of no, a lot of what happens like with I said, Danny Danny's this, sore yeah. from riding all day <laughs> yeah. a lot of what happens with Danny in this episode I think is uh not great a little bit of foreshadowing to the um tr- uh, problematic Danny storyline from season two. <laughs> Very, a lot like this. Mm. Um, we, so we cut to Winterfell and we get the famous slap that uh, the slap heard around the world, right? Uh, <laughs> that we've seen a million gifts of since, right? With Tyrion and Joffrey. And this is Joffrey's first dialogue in the series. And they waste no time in establishing how shitty he is as a person. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, right away, you understand their dynamic. Like again, I can't speak highly enough about how well the show is able to quickly establish relationships um, that feel uh, feel real and earned. You know, definitely. So yeah, so that, it's not much to say about it. He slaps him. It's really great. <laughs> slaps him a bunch. You know, it it never gets old. It still feels good to see it. Yeah, you can you can literally watch it on re- like I think there is that just like the gifts that just play it over and over again. It's great. Um, they go the next Tyrion goes to have breakfast and he's hanging out with all the Lannisters um in I guess the Great Hall. Um and it's weird to see them all. Like a lot of them like like Marcella and stuff is super young, right? Mm-hmm. And uh it's just weird to see them all sitting to, to around the table in almost like a uh like domestic almost setting. It's just not yeah, something like you see. Yeah, they got to make breakfast often. before they drop the kids to school. <laughs> yeah. Uh and like Obviously, Robert's not there. He's off doing whatever he's doing. So, like, Jamie's there. And it's like, he's obviously there. Like, so it's like literally the whole family right there. You know, even if they don't acknowledge that Jamie's the dad. Um, <laughs> and, like, I love how Jamie's like, yeah, turns out Bran might live. He's like, she answers, like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Maester Sand might survive. She's like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> so. It's so weird because yeah. obviously, like Tyrion probably doesn't suspect anything from them, right? Yeah, right? he's just screwing around at this point. Mm-hmm. But he notices that he kind of like hits a nerve, you know? Yeah, right away and he kind of follows it. Mm-hmm. Tyrion says how he's off to go. He kind of mentions how he's off to go see the Wall. Um, he wants to piss off the edge of the world. I think he is what he said. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so he's like, the kids don't need to hear your vulgarities. I just thought the whole the whole scene. I think is just so atypical for the types of thing setting we see them in most of the time which is like usually something important meeting about blah 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 and this is not that at all i liked it a lot actually uh and then jamie makes us like a jab about how like sometimes i wonder what side you're on which again is a strange thing to say unless he unless Tyrion knew that what what happened with bran right um no i think well like you're right, and this that's more I think foreshadowing than anything else. But it would make sense because I do believe that Tywin would have raised his kids to, think, but it's us or them mentality, right? Yeah. So everyone else is their enemy. I think Cersei says that later on in the season. But anyway, so but then <laughs> Tyrion's like, you know, he's like, he, I think he's a little bit of, a little offended. It's like you know how much I love my family, and I, I think he says it kind of sincerely, even if it comes from like a different a different place, right? Yeah. Yeah, he actually he genuinely does, and like he says later in the episode, you have to do what you can for the honor of your house. He's mm-hmm. that's all he's ever done, but he just never gets the recognition for it. Right. 
Um, anything else we want to mention about that before we move on? I think you covered it. It's okay. just a nice little family mm-hmm. moment. They're actually relatively civil towards one another. Yeah, re- yeah relatively. Everything's relative. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Cersei and Catelyn hanging out with the comatose Bran. And Cersei, this is kind of weird. This is basically, Catelyn has like two lines of dialogue in this. It's basically a Cersei scene uh, coming in. I think this is early on. I think the show was made efforts to make Cersei more sympathetic. And mm-hmm. even though uh, it, I don't know if it necessarily works, I don't think it does. And they, they obviously they abandoned that pretty quickly um, after season one. But uh, this, is, <laughs> this is the scene that's really funny because she's talking about her unborn firstborn uh, son. That, or sorry, the, the firstborn son that died from fever early on or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. That we almost never hear about ever again <laughs> in the entire series. It's almost like they want to forget that they even had that line of dialogue in the show. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's definitely something the characters try to forget. <laughs> well, but. Yeah. I think the show is actively tries to forget it. Because there's the whole prophecy, right, about the – she has with the old frog. Is it the old frog? Toad? Maggie the frog. Maggie yeah. the frog. Um, that, like, the firstborn child thing doesn't really work with that whole – <laughs> well, the prophecy was yeah. that she would have three children. I, like this, it's a technicality. That's weird. Like you don't know how prophecies work. Like she had the baby, but it died soon thereafter, right? So I don't. Know. Doesn't count. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it is. You're right. It's it's a rare sort of humanizing moment for Cersei. Like, she, I, and I do believe that she's being sincere in her, in what she's saying to Catelyn at this time. I think she's you know, sincere she, about telling the story, but she's not there for a noble for a no, for noble reason. She's not there to actually console. Cersei anyway. I don't know. I think it might be sort of like a, a little commiseration. Like she just like knows how she felt as a as a wife and mother and knows that Cat feels that way. Obviously it's in Cersei's best interest that Bran die. Right. But she's just she's just, you know, showing a little bit of emotional support. She's just I guess. doing her, her her duty as the, the guest. That right? too. Yeah. That's I guess I don't know. It's it's weird because it's the way it's cut between the last scene where she's clearly she's concerned that Bran is alive, right? And then cutting to this where she seems like she's so concerned that he would die, right? Yeah. So I think it's just kind of – I don't know. It doesn't quite fit for me, but – It is – it's not like a 180, but it is it's a drastic leap for her mm-hmm. character. I don't know. It's like and, – and like later on in the series and like from what I, I understand of the books, uh, she really does hate Robert. Like she wouldn't look back at that as a fond memory, you know? Yeah. But I think the show was trying to say like that's maybe what started her – like at first she was – trying to make the marriage work and right. it didn't. Like they, they, they kind of touch on that a couple times. There's another scene later in this season where she talks about how, you know, she talks about that exact thing, right? Um, and, yeah, so in the yeah. books, it's much more, like she, she just genuinely hates Robert. Mm. So there's she mentions at least one time that Robert actually impregnated her and then she had like Aborted? the Westerosi version of an abortion. Oh, wow. Like a couple, it, it could have happened more times, but I, I believe she mentions it at least once. Okay. That's, I did not know that. So is there – there's POV chapters with Cersei? Uh, not till the fourth book. OK. Yeah. Interesting. And she's pretty sadistic about it. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, so we cut to a scene between Jamie and John, and this is – it's a really short scene and I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what Jamie's even doing here. Like – he just comes to say hi to John before he leaves to go join the Night's Watch, but he like shakes his hand, like pulls him in. Like, what's he? I'm not sure what. What's the dynamic yeah. here? What's he? Is he trying to intimidate him? But for you know why? 
I think Jamie at this point, like we know so much about him, how he changes mm-hmm. as, a char- as a character, but at this point he really is just more a pompous, like arrogant jerk. And he, you know, he kind of believes that he's better than everyone else and he's just walking around strutting and he sees a, an opportunity to make a little kid feel bad essentially. Right. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, this is basically, that's basically the only scene that John and Jamie ever have together, right? Um, we're going to probably see a couple scenes with them together next season and season eight, right? Uh, it's so where, how do you think the relationship is going to be now compared to where it is in, in, in this episode? It's so early on, right? I think they're probably going to kind of like let bygones be bygones. They, they also don't really have a lot of bad blood between each other as individuals. Uh, Obviously, Jamie did some shitty things to, to John's family, but where <laughs> like John right now is kind of like none of that matters. There's one war, one enemy sort mm-hmm. of thing. Like everything mm-hmm. else can wait. Yeah. And so I don't sense. think there'll be much tension between them. And is Brie and Brienne still uh, hanging out over there? Right. She's somewhere. She's still yeah. somewhere around there, so she can kind of be the bridge for that uh, mm-hmm. for, th- for that relationship. And but, Tyrion too. Yeah, of course. It, I, it's such. I just. I, I think about that shot of the snow over King's Landing a lot, actually, uh, when I think about the show and the, you know, what it means, like what it means that Jamie leaves. I think I, we're talking about season eight now, but um, it's just interesting. To, like obviously seeing him, like you said, as a pompous jerk, come full cir- circle to leaving the capital in the season eight. It just took a long time, <laughs> maybe too <laughs> yeah. long. I think you could maybe argue. I don't know. I think the consensus is like from people that email in and stuff, almost everybody thinks like Jamie's arc is the most satisfying one to watch at this point. I would disagree that it it is, but over the last, like over season six, it was pretty frustrating. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Right? It got a, it kind of, because he kind of stagnated and he went back and forth a little bit. And I think, I think, I don't know if the show knew what they wanted to do with him yet or they needed him to wait before they made that turn. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Arya and John. Now, Needle. This is where Needle comes in. Uh, Arya's sword, and we get the famous, uh, the famous quote. You know, the first lesson: sticking with the pointy end. That comes back a lot. That's a great line. Um, yeah, there's an episode called "The Pointy End" mm-hmm. later on the season. And John and Arya's relationship. John and Arya's relationship is really cute, right? Arya has no bad blood towards John. Like she, they, she, mm-hmm. they generally get along, right? Um, <coughs> I think they both kind of feel like outsiders. I think that's probably how they, uh, why, why they mesh so well, right? Arya's not mm-hmm. like her sister. John's not like his brothers, right? Um, so it is kind of sad. Like he gives her a big, she gives him a big hug and all this stuff. Uh, it's kind of sad to see how much of Arya's innocence is kind of lost. And we, and we kind of, we touch on that over and over again and see when we talk about like current Arya and how she's so, so much different. But it is, it is kind of nice to see her like this, just just an innocent girl who just has different priorities than her sister. You know, just a little kid and hugging her big brother. Mm-hmm. I would say out of all the Winterfell kids, she and John are probably the closest. Maybe John and Rob too, but they don't really explore that as much. No, that almost not at all, actually. Well, they're because they're. I mean, their brothers are more like compatriots. You know, they're like they're just buddies. Yeah, they don't really ever get into it. Like like. Because you get the POV chapters from both John and Arya, you you understand how important that relationship is mm-hmm. to both of them. Well, and, and again, they don't even explore it that well in the show, even. But it's it 
what they do with such little amount of screen time is pretty impressive, um, yeah. and how well they're able to make that come across, right? And it, it does come across to like everyone else sort of expects Arya to conform to to be the little lady and to to you know to do her needlework and that right. kind of stuff. And John never wants asked her to do anything but be his sister. I think that's where that's the root of it. Mm-hmm. Hey, was another thing is I completely forgot where the name Needle actually came from. I always thought it was like, like and it's like no, I just really it's just a, it's just a spite her sister essentially, uh, which is kind of funny, and I completely forgot about that. <laughs> so we also have another scene with Catelyn and John, and Cat is still just the worst to John. Like she's just coming to say goodbye to Bran, and he says, "I want you to leave. Like I don't even want you here. Like I didn't." Eat. Like it's such, it's so mean. It's so mean, and like it, is. it really is. And like you, you get it because you know what he represents to her. But right. still, yeah. like it's not the kid's fault, right? Right. Like, I don't know. So that's actually now you bring that up. Uh, that dynamic, like the fact that he is a bastard, and that co- that comes up like a couple times in this episode. And un- you know, now knowing and understanding the like the history behind that and and everything. I think at every other scene, every scene that that's brought up um, is that much more effective, I think. Um, because that, especially that scene with what we're going to talk about soon between uh, Ned and Robert, right? Up on the King's Road is just yeah. so much better, you know, in context. And it, even what, it was great back then. It's even better now. So Kat uh, is kind of like, doing her needlework <laughs> and she's basically been sitting next to, um, to brand this whole time. And, uh, I think Kat is kind of almost del- delirious. She's, uh, she's a little bit lost. She's kind of lost her mind a bit. Um, yeah, fair enough. She, she has shades of her <coughs> insane, uh, sister a little bit, I think when, uh, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it, totally. Right. Well, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same dynamic they'll do anything for their children. Yeah. Right? To, to like to a fault, it, yeah. She even kind of looks like her, <laughs> like with her with her crazy eyes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, her and Ned have a kind of a brief chat here as well about um, you know bringing John back from the war and all that kind of stuff. And now it's like now you're leaving again um, to you know, and basically the implication is God knows what you'll bring back this time, or if you'll even come back at all, right? And yeah. he doesn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> spoilers, he doesn't. Right. But it is—it's a good example of how, like, we we always talk about the show using exposition to tell the larger story. Like, it's it's really you get a large chunk of of historical context just from these little character interactions. Yeah. It, again, even though that I think ninety five percent of that was lost on me the first time I watched this show, it was like probably all right. But again, that's that's the value of a rewatch. Yep, that's what we're here for. Uh, I it does it just makes that conversation so much more interesting, you know. So actually understand, like, fully understanding what they're talking about just adds so much. Um, so then we have John and Rob. And this is what you're talking about earlier. Like the, the relationship between John and Rob uh, and Rob is like, it, is almost not it, – it doesn't almost exist on the show. This is basically their only interaction. They had this interaction this week and last week was that one where they're getting shaved and that is it. They never see each other again. And – it's kind of like he's like he calls him a Stark, he calls him a Snow. It's kind of like there's a respectful um, kind of camaraderie there, like you talked about. Um, but you know they, they each know each other's place, but still respect each other, like I said. But yeah, uh, but it's just not well defined or explored, I think, which is kind of a shame because they're you know especially when Rob 
dies in a couple seasons. Um, that's the big tragedy for Rob's character. That always kind of bugged me. It, it, like it, it, I'm not complaining or whatever, but Rob never gets POV chapters. So you don't really get a lot. Of, his story is always told through someone else's perspective. So you don't right. really get to know Rob as well. You only see him through everyone else's eyes. Yeah. And I don't know. I just I just wish I got a little bit more out of him. Well, I know because he's the, like he's the he's the firstborn son, right? Like he's like he's very important to the Stark family, but it's like it's almost like he's just glossed over for every other Stark. Like he's yeah. he's somehow like next <laughs> next to Rickon, he's the least important one, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, but no, yeah, even but even Rickon lasted longer, even if he had less screen time. <laughs> Um, it's just, again, this is another example of the last time you, John gets to see some people like this. He basically leaves Winterfell and he doesn't get to see most of these people again until season, uh, seven, uh, at like the, at the earliest. He does. And for some of them, he doesn't, right? Like obviously with Robert, he doesn't with Ned, he doesn't, I mean like, and that's the next scene, right? Like this is the, that, that famous line where, where Ned tells him, you know, next time I see you, we'll talk about your mother. And he's, it looks like he's going to cry in that scene. Doesn't he kind of a little bit? A little bit? I don't know. If maybe I'm maybe I'm reading in too much, or he just got he a quivery died. lip. Uh, yeah, I don't know if <laughs> Ned Stark is capable of crying. <laughs> <laughs> I think he is, but yeah, he definitely looks like he he you know he's treating John as an adult now as an, as more of an equal and like realizing that he deserves that gesture you, of respect. Do you think he would have told him? I think he would. I think he was being serious. Yeah, you think, but the implication the implications of telling John his true parentage are pretty. Like it's for for the kingdom. Like if people well, actually, knew, right? It's important to note. Like Ned didn't say, "I'll tell you who your mother is." He said, "Next time we we see each other, we'll talk about your mother." Right. Okay. So it's a, it's a small distinction, but so did so did Ned come up with the whole backstory between? Uh, I think he, Wyla, I think is the name he makes up for the the uh, the random yeah. woman that apparently is John's mom. You know, or that's what he says anyway, right? Yes. Um, so obviously that what that wasn't. He just he's like, okay, I gotta come, I gotta come up with something because no one can know that John is really a Targaryen. So he had to come up right. with a story, but it is based, like Wyla is a real person. Okay, it is based in truth, and it is based in the, the what would be the common commonly known truth. So everyone already knows that Rhaegar kidnapped, quote unquote, kidnapped Lyanna. Yeah. So you can't can't erase that. So you have to work within that parameter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Wyla was John's wet nurse. Okay, we, we find that out later. Arya talks to who uh, a guy named Edric Dane, who was John's milk brother. So they had the same wet nurse. So you know, <clears throat> she was nursing John. It was easy enough for him to say that she was John's mother. Okay, simple as that. She was just a servant who served at House Dane. She was nobody really important. Did she ever? Whatever happened to her? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows. No one knows. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, after after the Tower of Joy, obviously Ned takes John, yeah. chooses the, the name John because it makes sense, right? Named after John Aaron. Yeah. And then he has to return Sir Arthur Dane's sword to his house in Starfall, the the sword called Dawn. Right. right? Yeah. That that was a whole. That's just part of his honor. That sword has been in their family for generations. Blah blah blah. So he takes the sword back, and that's where they meet this Wyla lady. Okay. She's a servant at that at uh, Starfall. Do you think he tell? What do you think he tells her? Do you say, "Listen, I'm going to pretend you're you're this kid's mom," and you yeah, I don't know. Along? Maybe he killed her. I don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like how much? How far would John, would Ned willing to go to protect that secret? I guess you know. I don't think he would have murdered an innocent woman. I yeah. think he maybe would have 
you know, hidden her somewhere. Like she's she's just a serving lady. She could be anybody anywhere, essentially, right. or even gone across the narrow sea, right? I wonder if so we 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 know that uh the Reeds are the last people who could possibly know the, about about the about John's parentage, right? And Bran knows. And Bran, of course. But do you think they're going to come back? Are they going to come back? If we're being honest with ourselves, with one season left, I'm no. I I I don't know. It's hard to say. I know you want them uh, to. <laughs> I, I I can't imagine Howland Reed not being a part of the show just because he's been mentioned so many times and like his impact has been felt in in you know a couple ways. But given that there's only six episodes and it's really not the time to be introducing characters, yeah, it, it might be the case that he's not in the show. I think it's probably. I feel like that's likely. That's likely to be true. I guarantee you he'll be in the books. Oh yeah, when those books come out, when, which may never. <laughs> yeah, who knows? So let's talk about this uh, Ned and Robert scene. Um, we talked about this already. This is kind of like my favorite scene in, in in this episode. Probably one of the better scenes of the series, or at least the season. And they're kind of sitting there sharing old stories, talking about the good old days, quote unquote, good old days. And um, they kind of start talking about like <laughs> the the chicks they used to bang, and uh, for, for lack of a better term, exactly. And locker room <clears throat> is it locker room talk, Dan? I think that's what they call that. Yeah, goddamn. <laughs> and uh, I guess you know, again, John's mom, quote unquote, mom comes up in the conversation. Ned deflects. He's like, "Yeah, you'll, I'll never tell you what she looks like," <laughs> and. Um, he clear he's clearly struggling with the lie. Like I, he's been living with this lie for so long, he clearly is struggling. Like he's struggling with it. He's this man of honor. He's been known to be a man of honor. It's actually amazing that no one ever found out about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like the fact that he was like he doesn't have a very good poker face. We know this. How is it? It's crazy. Look, it's because he hid himself away in, in Winterfell, and no one have to, no one could ever like actually ever ask him about it. But um, like, I, I'm surprised that. Cat didn't see through it, right? Like he, she just took his story at face value, you know. Well, it's the the way uh, Ned chooses to to take it is that he just he refuses to talk to anybody about it. So it's right. not like you're not technically lying; you're just not saying it. <laughs> right, right, right. That'll that'll technicality, right? Um, okay, so that happens, and then the conversation turns to uh, the. I guess he gets a, there's a, a note that came from across the narrow sea about the Targaryens and Danny marrying Carl Drogo, right? Yeah, and this, the note is from Jorah. Is it actually from Jorah? Okay, so yeah, he's he's the mole now. What this is where this scene really like takes the next step, right? It has it references so many things, right? Like he talks about like murdering a kid, and then he's like he's like oh, and, then, and Rob's like oh really? That's too far for you? Well. Obviously, well, what about what the, you know, the former king did to your family and all that kind of stuff? And, like, just so many, like, boom, that happened and that happened and that happened. And they get heated and it's, like, it's almost an argument, but it's, it's like, a courteous one. Um, mm. And you can tell that the relationship between the two of them is so strong that it's just, like, two buddies getting along. It's not, it's not a, um, a guy talking to the king about what strategy is good. It's about it's his friend telling his other friend that let's not kill kids, right? Yeah. One of the few people who is allowed to be honest to the king. Yeah. Right. If not hit him, though. I, th- I thought that was great. Yeah, one of the worst yeah. parts of your coronation that I can't even, I can't even hit you anymore. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no, that's why this scene, uh, it stuck out for me the first time I, I watched it without understanding a lot of the, the concepts yeah. they're talking about. But it just, it helps make the world feel like tangible, like lived in, mm-hmm. you know. Th- these characters obviously have their history, like you mentioned, and there's these little pieces of history that I don't really know much about, but as the show progresses, you figure it out, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what we talk about a lot, I think, when talking about the show, is the ability to do exposition in a way that's not... Um, that doesn't feel forced. Obviously, there is times where it does, specifically the sex position scenes. Uh, you can it's pretty um, transparent how that works. But this is a scene where you actually are giving context and building the world and doing world building through a an honest dialogue between two characters who have already been established and their relationship is understood. It's 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 yeah. writing at its best. Is really what it's it is. it's impressive. Yeah, yeah. very impressive. Um, so I think at this point we should take a quick break and we'll get right back into it in just a sec. All right. So as you know, we have teamed up with Royal Caribbean Cruise Planners and Dalmatian Travel Events for a big announcement that we revealed last week. That is a Game of Thrones cruise, right? Cruise of Thrones. Exactly. And obviously we're super excited to talk about it and we're going to be talking about all the different locations that the cruise is going to be visiting, um, throughout the season one rewatch. But we do also have to go over the details because that is important if you want to come with us on this cruise because we're going to be going and we want you to be there too, okay? So here are the details, all right? It's two different cruises, a northern and a southern cruise, okay, that you can combine into a 24-night full experience called the whole known world, okay? There are going to be Game of Thrones experiences on the ship, and we're going to be involved in some of those. So, again, can't express how, enough that you need to come because we want to see you guys there. Okay. There's a little bonus thing, though. If you register before March 15th, you receive $150 credit towards onboard activities. Okay. That's basically free money that you can use um, for the bar. I'm probably going to use it at the bar. Um, I'm not a gambler, but if you are, you can use it at a casino or get a, get a massage. Um, what else? What did, Name another thing. <laughs> again i were like if, if i were to be receiving that i'd be using it at the bar i think you could probably potentially use it towards excursions as well in the port cities if mm, they have a, okay. somebody on board offering those opportunities cool um and obviously we're gonna go again through the locations these are the details for how you can get involved but if you want to go through it all yourself you can go to their website cruiseofthrones.com and that's where you're gonna be able to actually register and reserve your place on the cruise as well okay so also, there will be a link in the show notes, of course. This time, this week, we're going to be talking about Belfast. Now, Belfast is the epicenter of all things Game of Thrones when it comes to their filming locations. It's where they film all their uh, stuff on sets. It's where their studio is, and they film out of Titanic Studios, which is on, I'm not even making this up, Queen's Road, Belfast, right? Um actually filmed that Titanic studio, which is uh, a former uh, shipyard and is where the actual boat Titanic was built. So that's not anything to do with Game of Thrones. I just think that's a cool tidbit of information. Um, Good to know. And They have a ton of space there. Yeah, like four 16,000 square foot stages. Four of them. But anyway, whatever. Um, The point is, it's... There is a whole cottage country of tour companies that operate out of Belfast for Game of Thrones stuff. When we're at port, 
we get the opportunity to actually go and visit those things and take, go on those tours and definitely something um, that we're going to go do every single time we're at port. Um, yeah, every opportunity. I'm going to take advantage of that. Yeah. yeah tell where? So you think of Belfast, not just the studios, but um, the countryside and Northern Ireland. Where in Game of Thrones is that? Well, it primarily, it's, it's most of Westeros is filmed around that area. Um, definitely everything around Winterfell, the north, the the Cliffs of Pike, the King's Road, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That beautiful, just sweeping country. And they're all hard. They're not, they're not as difficult to pronounce as the places in Iceland, but they are. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of glens. I'll, I'll get, I'm going to with spoilers. There's a lot of glens in Ireland. Okay, I'll tell you what's tough about that area. I've been. I haven't been to Northern Ireland. I've been to Ireland. Um, the English translations aren't hard to pronounce, but anything in Celtic is just it. It's pot. Like you can't difficult. navigate that language. It yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry. I have a friend named Owen, uh-huh. but it's spelled Eugen. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really like it's yeah. an interesting like it's a beautiful language when you when you hear it spoken i just it 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 might as well be a, an alien language if i see it written down well how, how it has like no ties to like english english right it's basically it's almost entirely different yes mm-hmm. okay i was gonna say it's like patwa right is like the jamaican slang but it might as well be its own different language entirely but it was yeah. based off english right um, I don't know. I, Northern Ireland, I've never been. I've been to locations in Europe before, but I've never been to Ireland. I've been to England, um, but never Ireland. So I'm excited to actually see Ireland. Uh, I've always, I have lots of friends from Ireland. Um, and obviously, knowing that it's the like prime location of all things Game of Thrones is obviously exciting. Um, we're there for two days, actually. We, we arrive in, in like, Belfast proper. Yeah. yeah, in like we arrive. 8 a.m. on uh, on I don't know it's like a Monday or something I don't have it up in front of me now but uh, 8 a.m. and then we leave like the next day at like five so it's like a, a lot of time uh, and there would probably be a lot to see so that that's good. Uh, I'm you know what I'm excited about and this this might be a weird sort of fantasy that I don't it, I don't know how much sense it makes but I'm excited that we're taking this giant cruise ship and then going through that northern channel in between into the Irish Sea. Mm. I don't know how thin it is there but that just sounds cool like when you I look at it like, on the map like, it looks you, cool. You can like look at both like look to the left and look to the right. I don't know if it's that thin. <laughs> it's not but we'll that definitely thin. be seeing some like the, the cliffs at least. Yeah, I mean which I, Ireland like both Northern Ireland and uh, Republic of Ireland are pretty famous for their cliffs. You know I like cliffs, but I think they're more exciting when you're atop of the cliffs. Like seeing cliffs from like a boat, I yeah. feel like is less exciting. I'm just gonna be honest. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to put a damper on the whole excitement because you obviously are. But cliffs are more exciting when you're actually on top of them. But you know, that's just. I'm me. excited for that. I'm also excited for the, like when we have time off in Belfast to go to an Irish pub. That's that was like my favorite thing about Dublin. To, I'm sure they'll have similar pubs in I, Belfast. I would imagine so. Yeah. You know, actually, no, it's a, it's a dry county. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, here's the, here's the question, Dan. Is there, what, do you think there's a strong distinction between an Irish pub and an English pub? I think people from those areas would say yes. I'm, mm, I, as okay. a layman, I, a layperson, I can't tell the difference. So I would, I would love to know. If you guys know, if, if, you had like, if there was like a chart of some kind you could send us, uh, a flow yeah. chart maybe, that'd be handy. We'd love to know. Send that into towerbiblepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to know. But I think um, we should probably get back to talking about episode two. What do you think? Sure. All right. So we head back to, I guess, 
I get the unknown location wherever Danny is. And this is what I talked about early on when I said this 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 episode's kind of all over the place because this scene is literally just Danny getting raped. It's just a rape scene thrown snack dab right into the middle of the episode. And yeah. the context is important for later and I get that. And I have I have some issues with this whole plot line as a whole and I'll get to that when we get um further into it like later on when we get to that part but is there anything we should mention about this particular scene like other than the fact that they keep they do spend a lot of time looking at the eggs that's the only i think that's really the only takeaway yeah you'll notice like danny's face sort of changes like the 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 dragon eggs give her some sort of uh, consolation right like that she has this this lineage that like that she she draws power from them somehow even if she doesn't fully understand it Mm -hmm. that's all i ever would have that's all i get out of it really yeah this 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 you know monotonous kind of terrible life that she's stuck in, but she has these eggs and it, that keeps her going. Mm-hmm. So let's cut away to John and Tyrion. I wrote Taryn. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty funny. Um, and this is kind of funny. I mean, in a in a not so funny kind of way. So the cut from Danny being raped is to a scene where Tyrion and John are talking about rapists. Um, or as Tyrion calls them, rapers, <laughs> um, which isn't really a word. And uh, It is in Westeros, I it? guess. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, he reads a lot of books. I don't think he would <laughs> get the grammar wrong. It's uh, Anyway, it's not very subtle, I guess that was what I would say. Um, we get a little bit more background on the Night's Watch. We find out that it's mostly populated by murderers and rapists and thieves. And... Tyrion goes into this whole thing uh, about defending his, like, why he reads so much. You know, why do you read so much? You know, uh, John being in the, <laughs> it's a stupid question, actually, John. Um, and Tyrion basically saying, like, ha- defending his, uh, the hard work that he has to to put in to make up for his lack of um, position in the family because he's a midget, essentially, yeah. a dwarf. Um, and it's just, he's that's his analogy is that he's honing his weapon right a mind that, needs books like a sword needs a whetstone yes yeah another great line from Tyrion he gets all the best lines especially this season all the best lines are Tyrion's lines and Ned's but uh, between the two of them everyone else is just like second fiddle in terms of dialogue <laughs> um, and it just it's just fun to hang out with John and Tyrion some more I mean this is uh, we get a little bit more of this like for the next couple episodes and then it's then it's over and then I think the dynamic is like completely different in like this most latest season where John has been dealing with Tyrion again, but also with Danny, right? It's completely yeah. you like have you noticed that as well? Like I've been kind of juxtaposing it in my <clears> mind and like it's just this this version of Tyrion is just a lot more jovial. I mean, of this everything is a lighter time. Like it's not, not nothing is quite as important right now as it is later on, but he's much more serious in season eight than he is uh, with John now. Yeah. I mean, for understandable reasons, I also like John grows up a lot. Mm -hmm. This is like that scene with uh, John and Rob shaking hands, leaving Winterfell. That's sort of like, like imagine like that's their high school graduation, you know, like they've lived their whole lives in this insular little place. Now they're going to see the larger world and neither one of them was really prepared for it. Although Rob probably more so Mm -hmm. prepared, not unprepared. So, the only other thing I want to say about this scene is that Tyrion makes like a jab about grumpkins and snarks, which I guess are like made up um, 
like monsters from north like beyond the wall they're they're the half a lumps and woozles yes. of Westeros. I literally I wrote that in the uh, oh, <laughs> in my show notes. I was like, yeah, they're the half a lumps and woozles, which is <laughs> hilarious. Um, I think that's I think that's a really fun little uh, piece of dialogue as well. Um, it really it really makes it clear that the 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 main enemy of this series, who we know is the White Walkers, are just not important to anybody uh, beyond the the Night's Watch, and even them yeah, to them. You know. They're often lumped into the same category as Grumpkins and Snarks. They're like included in the same sentence mm-hmm. as like the same way we would talk about like a unicorn or something. <laughs> okay. Uh, so wait, sorry, can I get a little tangent? But what what's special about a unicorn other than it has a fancy horn on its head? Well, depends on the okay. wood myth you're talking about. <laughs> Unicorns, yeah, they have they have a horn. No if, other in Harry Potter, they have fancy blood. I think right. That's the um, if you drink a unicorn's blood, you'll be immortal. But if you kill a unicorn, you'll be cursed forever. Cursed in what way? I don't know. Just cursed. It's so you drink you, you kill the, the unicorn and then drink its blood, so you're cursed but live forever. Yes. So okay. the idea is, if you can get unicorn blood without killing a unicorn, boom, boom, immortality. Okay, so what, is there like a a loophole? Like, what if you dug a hole? I'm sure there's a black market like, for unicorn blood. Right, right, no, like, what if you dug a hole, right, and it just happened to walk into the fall into the hole and break its neck? Is did you kill the unicorn? Are you cursed? Um, because I think that's a philosophical question, but <laughs> the way I would answer it is intent is is crucially important. Mm. And you intended to kill it. Mm, okay. What if However, you, if you were to capture a unicorn and then bleed it without killing it, maybe I don't know. Maybe that's a little <laughs> that, that seems more cruel. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, but other than that, other than the fact that they have a horn, that's really nothing special about a unicorn. It's just and a they're, horse. Like they're you know majestic. It's majestic. Yeah, but so are horses. They're more beautiful than a horse. In what way? In every possible way, <laughs> the magical creature. I think a Pegasus is way cooler than unicorn. Pegasus the is the name of a horse. It's not the type of horse. You know what I mean, Daniel. Okay, <laughs> and unicorns also, I think, are just they, they're magic. They're able to perform magic. Ah, okay, and sometimes so. can talk, depending on. The, yeah. yeah, all right, but there's no unicorns in uh, Westeros. So back to the show. There are in well, there there are. Uh, <laughs> what I think in, I want to say Yeti or like one of the eastern continent, part of the eastern continent. There's like, you know, uh, myths of I think they're called unizorns though, or something like that. Oh, so it's like the what are they called the. O- Olaf Oliphants, <laughs> sort of like, like I think that they, they talk about them. Okay. They definitely talk about whatever the Westerosi version of narwhals is, and they have a specific name. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but narwhals. Well, like the... of course, they see narwhals. Really? Huh. Which are like unicorns in water? Right. Yeah, and just not nearly as majestic. <laughs> but they do. They do have a unicorn horn, which is true. That's so weird. The one. <laughs> the, the... The, I think they're like the, one of the like how many other fish or whale like underwater creatures have horns like that or any horn. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Definitely because it's a mammal. Definitely no other like dolphin or porpoise or whale yeah. has a horn that I can think of. I can't think of any fish that have a horn like that. Fish have spikes though. Some of them. Yeah, and the spiny. Yeah, like, we are well off track. Yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Uh, anyway, where were we? We were talking about. Oh, now we were talking about John and Tyrion, but I think we, we can move on. This is the the Winterfell assassin scene. And the uh, cat's paw. The cat's paw. Right. Yes. And Meister Lewin comes in talking about accounts. It's very exciting stuff. 
and uh cat is still kind of delirious i wrote delicious here by accident <laughs> um Ooh, I, apparently um <laughs> but manages uh to survive this attack by the um uh, i think what they call it. it's not a cell sword is it it's that version of an assassin right it's a cat's paw that's that's what they call it it's like the, the name yeah. we talked about this actually went on one of the episodes before yeah. cat's paw is that's a name for called. assassin yeah so <clears throat> john or sorry yeah Rob sees a fire and leaves to go, I guess, help deal with it. Is the fire set as a distraction for... Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting, before that, it, Rob kind of starts taking on more responsibility. Like, he's becoming the man of the household. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, I'll take care of it. I'll do what I can. Because, you know, he is growing up and now he's accepting his role. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, it's, it's actually crazy that Kat, I don't know, she grabs the blade and doesn't lose all her fingers. Yeah, because it's Valyrian steel, right? We've seen Valyrian yeah. still literally cut through other swords. So I was yeah. thinking that same thing too. I guess maybe they hadn't really established the Valyrian steel rules yet in the, on the show. No, um, that happens in the books too. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. That is weird. But she's just like, she grabs and she, I guess it's one of those, like, you know, you hear the stories of the mother that can like lift a, a, set, a, 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 car. a truck off yeah. the baby or whatever, like the adrenaline. Yeah. That's, that's, that's gotta be what's happening there. And then, I mean, obviously, she just she probably would not have survived this without the help of Summer, which is uh, Bran's direwolf. Just wrecks him, <laughs> like rips his throat out or something. There's like a really gratuitous shot of like his neck all like <laughs> ripped yeah. apart. Um, and then the dog just goes and lies down on the bed. It's pretty funny. And uh, this is like this. Okay, so this scene is actually extremely important because it is essentially what starts the War of Five Kings. This this moment right here is what starts the war for all intents and purposes. I feel like we said that a lot last episode and I feel like we're <laughs> going to keep saying that. Well, yeah, I guess there are certain things that were put in motion already by Littlefinger um, that could have brought the war to fruition anyway. But this one specifically sends Cat on a mission, right? This act, but sends Cat on yeah. a mission, which has her then, which is why she kidnaps Tyrion, which starts the war. Right, right. But, I mean, you can make the same argument that Brad being pushed out the window is what starts it. Like, it, yeah. it's, it doesn't really matter. It's a combination of things. Fair enough. I'm wrong. I, I'll take it back. <laughs> um, now, do it's been a while since we've. I feel like we've talked about this. Was the origin of the assassin fully established, or is it still just hearsay? It's. I, I don't fully remember. Like, it's it's complicated. Littlefinger's dagger, he lost it to Tyrion in a tournament. Or a bet, I think. But I th- Sorry? As a bet. Yeah, like yeah. He, he placed a bet on, on Jamie. It was the tournament of Joffrey's name day. Okay. Whichever his latest name day. But <clears throat> I think, if I remember correctly, Joffrey's the one who sent the assassin. Yeah, I remember hearing that as well. That Joffrey sent the assassin. He stole the, the dagger from either... Tyrion, or if if it was in Robert's possession at the time, mm-hmm. um, I've heard the rumor that that was actually Rhaegar's um, blade that oh god that uh, was it was taken off of his dead body after, at the Battle of the Trident, which is a kind of because remember even Bran later in this in in season seven, you know who this belonged to. Remember he when he was talking with Littlefinger, right? And at uh-huh. the time it was like imp- the implied. Uh, thing was that it, this is the blade that was used to kill me and you it belonged to you and you know that, right? But I think it might be more that the blade belonged to Rhaegar and that's what he was talking about. It's hard to say. 
right? It could be. I mean, the the Targaryen like to decorate their blades with so it's, it's a valyrian steel blade with a dragon bone hilt and it's decorated with dragon glass on the hilt as well right so that was like but the blade i believe they always they always kind of mention that it's like a very basic looking blade that's that, special that, about that, it other than well i don't special. know have you seen it looks pretty special to me and it's in that book yeah. remember it's like literally drawn down it's not a, it's not a boring blade it actually has yeah. it has significance right well yeah so i don't know but again it was i believe it was joffrey it, it works better in the books because it, it you realize you find out sorry that robert won the dagger off of baelish in the tournament so joffrey just stole it from his dad and i think the idea is that he was doing it to impress his dad yeah because he overheard robert say something along the lines of like the kid would be better off dead sort of thing right he says that in this episode where he says like you know it's you know it's a mercy if you know if someone yeah. like, were to you know kill him now right um it's just such a weird thing because it's 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 so <sighs> who would have guessed that Joffrey would have sent an assassin, right? Like it's it's so chaotic. Like everything else is so neatly planned and fits together in such nice pieces, right? Either whether it's manipulation from Littlefinger or someone else or Varys or whatever, right? This is yeah. just like a random wrench thrown into the works that kind of like and sends that, everything. You know, I think that's by design though, yeah. because you know, Joffrey isn't schooled in the arts of, of uh, deceit like everyone else right. is. You know, obviously it's in Cersei and Jamie's best interest to have Bran killed, but they would have been smarter about it. Joffrey just did it. Like, he's he's a little kid trying to be like his daddy, essentially. Yeah. Or not like Robert probably wouldn't have done it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Although Robert does actually a couple of times talk about sending a knife to Daenerys, so maybe he would <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Um, obviously a this, sharp this, knife and a bold man to wield it. This is the same... Uh, Blade, obviously, that Arya has later, which is important to mention as well. Yeah. Uh, but he, he get yeah. Anyway. Uh, anything else you want to say about the famous cat's paw scene? <laughs> no, I don't, we covered it okay. all, I think. Okay. Uh, now, we cut back to Danny and the her handmaids, I guess. Like, they're she's getting a manicure or something. And... Uh, I think they're, her hands are sore from the saddle, from, like, holding the reins and right, stuff like that. Right, okay. And... Uh, one of her handmaids is like uh, she speaks common tongue, and uh, is a former prostitute. I guess is the uh, political way of putting it, and uh, a slave. Yeah, and she's kind of talking about it's it's just it's just kind of more sex position stuff. It's I mean just less sex involved until later, and. <clears throat> The show is literally jumping all over the place. This is like specifically this first season. It's easy like to forget how uh, how much the show couldn't. It had ADD. The show has ADD at in the first season. It's constantly jumping between scenes randomly. Can't decide when to stay on one scene for very long. Uh, remember, I was always talked about like you could always tell something important was going to happen if a, if a scene went on a certain amount of like length of time. Yeah. Because you immediately start feeling uneasy, um, and it comes from this because you get a scene like this is like a three minute scene. No, you're not even right, and the, of just like girls chatting about uh, the time that she was like sold into slavery at nine years old, right? Uh, so again, it gives you an interesting uh, world building and stuff. Um, but again, the implications of this whole uh, this whole thing. I'm just let's just stick with this for now because we go back to we we cut to a uh, cat investigating the hair stuff and then back to Danny training again. 
and um and then that is, cut away and then cool back cuts. <laughs> and like i think even between that and uh like yeah so between this scene and the investigation like you know sherlock catlin there is a 30 second scene of Tyrion and john arriving at the wall and benjen saying like one line of dialogue and that's it it's like, yeah, I think he just says welcome. That's not necessary. We don't need that scene. That scene does not need you, to exist. You do need the scene of the first time these characters see the wall. Right. They, that's this, fine. You know, it doesn't need to exist in like randomly inserted there. Right. Like it could have been used better is all I'm saying. Sure. So we cut back to Danny and I guess I just have an issue with this plot line or the, because she clearly doesn't like drogo right like she like that that the relationship is not good she does not enjoy anything that's happening right she would this yeah. is a forced marriage but somehow all she does all she has to do is get one lesson from a former prostitute on how to have better sex and all of a sudden like the relationship turns perfect and she like she starts falling for them and she's the sun and their stars and like the you know like like you know what that I mean? happens later it, it's not as it's abrupt a shift as you're describing but it is pretty close yeah right just what's the implication there? Like, what's the message you're sending in, in in that in that case, right? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think the idea is there's a language barrier, so she can't communicate with him verbally. So she has to use a physical form of communication, right? So it's not even that she like she definitely doesn't like where she's at right now, as of this point in, in the show. But she looks at the eggs. She gets her. She draws strength from that and has to make the most of her situation. I guess it's a shitty thing to say. Obviously, she's a, you know she's a prisoner basically, mm-hmm. but she's at least taking some sort of action. Like she's asserting herself as best she can. I guess I, I don't. I just I bristle at the that the way that they've done it. Like the way they just like okay. So how can Danny take charge? Well, she's just gonna use her feminine wiles then, and and that by the way that solves all her problems. It's just it's it's. Yeah, I don't I think it has a. It's not a great message. In the thing mind. is, it doesn't solve all her problems, but it does solve this one. Right. Um, and, and you know, in terms of characterization, it's not like Danny does that often. You know, that's not like it's not like she only relies upon her, her sexuality to, to win. No, but in this. She does when it's when it's beneficial when she can. But yeah, I just early on like this, like we yeah. only had a lot of like very little to do with Kat uh, or sort of Danny uh, this early on. And I think just it's a bad message to send. I don't. It's confused, I think. No, you're absolutely right. So let's talk about Sherlock Catelyn. I just found this a little amusing. So she's like investigating the crime scene. And I mean, this might be a bit of a stretch, but again, I guess there was also the cat's paw. So I guess I'll allow it. But she finds a golden hair in Mm -hmm. the tower. And she's like, has to be the Lannisters. The Lannisters pushed him out the window. Like, you know, like, (laughs) <laughs> it, just, it seems like a bit of a leap, but I mean, I guess if there was no assassin, I would, I could, it, it would be crazier. But because she, there was an attempt made on his life, I can, I can kind of see where she's coming from there. I mean, yeah, that's why she's investigating. And, and I mean, there were probably very few other blonde people that were there that had right. access to that, that part of the tower, I guess. It is pretty weird. Like, it's just a hair. It's not <laughs> yeah. proof enough. I, and I like how, she, I like how. You know, someone must have pushed him out the pushed him out the window, and she's like, "He was sure-footed before." <laughs> like someone, like someone could never slip, which I think is kind of funny too. Uh, I like that right away. 
Cat's like ready to go to war, basically. And then Rob is like, yep, I'll, I'll, you know, war it is. <laughs> and Theon's like, yeah, I got your back. Don't worry about it. And Maester Lewin's like, slow your roll there, boys. Like, relax, right? Another very well-written line. Maester Lewin says, too often uh, words of war become acts of war. Yeah, great line. And so he kind of chills and chills him out a bit. Catelyn says, I need to go... Uh, tell this to Ned. Ned needs to know right away, but I don't trust a raven to carry the information, which is fair. Um, Do you think it's a good idea that she would go on her own? Like, that was her idea. I'll just go by myself. Is that really a good idea? Well, I think, like she mentions in that scene, there must always be a Stark in Winterfell. Right, classic line. Bran is still unconscious. Mm -hmm. You can't leave it to Rickon. (laughs) Well, no. He's he's a baby. You can't can't leave anything to Rickon. He can't even... He can't even avoid arrows well. Yeah, so Rob, <laughs> Jesus. Rob needs to stay in Winterfell as a sort of like solidarity just for the people around him, just to keep the place running. Right, but does right. Catelyn have to, like, why couldn't she have sent any of her trusted men? I'm like, like who? Like Roderick, I guess? Or Roger yeah. Castle, he goes with her. Yeah, so why does Catelyn need to make the trip? I don't know. Because I think Ned probably wouldn't believe anyone else. I think if... He needs Roderick, to hear it from her. If, if Roderick said, listen, Catelyn told me to come tell you this, or better yet, with a letter from her, right, with yeah. her seal, I, I think that would work just as fine and much less dangerous. Like, if you think that, honestly, that the Lannisters are plotting against your family, do you think that traveling into the belly of the beast is really a good idea, right? Yeah, should have said the lines then, but you're right. Ah, shit, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> um. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things. She just probably you can't trust it to anybody else. She has to relate it in her own words. It's not even that Ned wouldn't believe, but he'd probably be less likely to do anything about it than if she were the one relaying the message. Yeah, like she's the one who can convince him. That's true. And like like we already have established in the previous episode, like it takes months to travel back and forth, and this is rather time sensitive. Yeah, so and she's has to I think there's a line in this scene where she says she's been praying for. Uh, for Bran for months. I'm like, yeah. it's been months since the first episode? Like, this is episode two. It's been months. Like, months since episode one. I, I'm... It just... You don't... I get that, like, you were supposed to get... Like, it takes a long time to go down the King's Road. I understand that the show kind of changes how all that time-sensitive stuff works, over, you know, as the show gets older. But, like, there is no reason to believe that there's been a month. Like, not... there's Except for that one line, what reason would you have to... To believe that there's been a m- months since that first episode. Yeah, as I, I suppose it's because well, they don't even make it to King's Landing in this episode, so they don't think. I don't I don't, know. Did they even? Did they get their next episode? No, because the episode end? ends while they're at the inn on the crossroads. So they get their next episode, though. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the inn at the crossroads, this is where the kind of the episode kind of wraps up, and uh, Sansa kind of. She's she's taking she's she's taking Lady for a walk, which I don't think you've ever seen them with a leash before. Like, have you ever seen any of the the what direwolves with a leash? No, I think they're that by the time we see them later on, they're well trained enough. Right, that they don't need leashes. But I think that's interesting. I don't think we ever. I think it's the only time we ever saw them with a leash. And uh, <laughs> it reminds me of the the scene later with with Robert. He's like, "Get her a dog; she'll be happier about it." Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so sad because Lady yeah. was the best behaved of all the direwolves. I know. She didn't need a leash. <laughs> you you upset there, Dan? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, so Sansa like 
is walking and runs into Ilan Payne, who I completely forgot did not have a tongue. I, this is I, that it was something that had completely left my mind. Um, I think it's the most screen time that Ilan Payne actually gets in the entire, in the entire series. Um, he's he's always kind of around, but like obviously he can't have any dialogue, right. so he doesn't really make much of an impression. But he he looks damn scary. Right? I'll tell you that. Yeah. For a, yeah, he definitely play, he does the the role of the executioner well. Here's another question: When you're going on a big trip with like like the royal procession, do they always bring their executioner with them? Yeah, the king's <laughs> justice. Okay, all right. If anything were to happen, some for whatever reason they needed to execute somebody, they need him there to do it. Well, or Ned could do it. He's the uh, if Ned passed the sentence, he would do it. Like yeah. the Northerners don't use an executioner, but in right. the South they do. Okay. And anyway, she runs into that uh, Ditlin Payne, and then like, who else is there? Oh yeah, the Hound. <laughs> she runs into the Hound too, um, who gives a funny line about. Uh, I mean, I think next to Tyrion, I think the Hound gets some of the better lines um, in the show, just in general. Especially uh, mm-hmm. late when he's like, <laughs> when Ned asks him about, "Did you did you run down the butcher's boy?" He's like, yeah, he I did. He wasn't very fast. <laughs> um, also pretty dark, and I, I I forgot that that happened as well. And uh, that's another character that's like Jamie. You you pretty much hate at the beginning, and then he has an arc that you you kind of you start to feel for. You start you start to see him change, and you you kind of root for the character. You kind of want him yeah. to have a win, except for that part where he's gets he's all creepy with uh, with Sansa. That that except for yeah. that one part that was weird. There's a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> After that, he's all cool though, um, but. Is the is because the hound killed the butcher's boy? Is that why, or Micah is his name? Is that why Arya has him on his list or on her list? Yeah, yeah, okay. There's that, and he's just part of the Lannister household. But that I think her list is more about personal vengeance, and it is, I think, in the book she says it's because of Micah. Okay, I don't know that the hound has done anything specifically to her other than that. She even brings, she doesn't even, she she brings up that name Micah again later in the series, yeah, and and he probably doesn't remember, yeah. I think that's yeah. I think yeah. When they're doing their little journey, um, yeah, yes. She gets all mad at him. Um, anyway, so Sansa's going for a walk, and then she runs into Joffrey, and who comes off a lot less shitty in this scene, by the way. Um, kind of like almost like a normal boy slash prince. Um, and he's playing the part. Yeah, and it, it fairly well. And it's like it's like okay, well, you know, at that time you're like well, maybe he's not that shitty. That turns out not to be true <laughs> very quickly. Uh, meanwhile, Arya and Micah are having like a little play fight with sticks. And uh, I, so I'm confused as to how this even kind of starts. Like why, how, how did it escalate so quickly? They're having a, a sword fight and Arya's just mad that Sansa walked up on, like up to her. She's like, what are you doing here? Go away. Like it's, it's such a weird, everything that happens here just, I think isn't, it doesn't feel great. Does that make sense? Like it, it, I know, that, that's just sibling rivalry though. Like you, <laughs> when you're young like that, you kind of don't want your, especially cause Arya's doing something that she's not supposed to be doing. Right. She's not meant to be doing. Yeah. So she's not defensive. And I think what happens in the scene is Micah accidentally kind of like nicks Arya's finger. Okay. And then Joffrey uses that against him. Like you hurt my lady's sister, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. That's, and then, right. And then, then it's Sansa, just Joffrey power. Yeah. Tripping, and really. then Sansa's, Sansa has this like, Stop it! You're ruining everything, which has got to be one of the most annoying things that anyone could say, especially in context. <laughs> um, uh, at that time, like 
both are to be fair, both Arya and Sansa come off as just petulant, annoying children in this episode. Um, and Joffrey. Oh, and Joffrey, of course. Yeah, everybody but, but Micah. <laughs> <laughs> who who it meets an unfortunate end. Um I, I like that Arya throws his sword into the into the water. Yeah, she does. It's like <laughs> It's like, what did that, what, like, what did that help? Like, did, are you really, did that really change anything? I guess she does. He, I guess Offrey does try to like literally kill her with his sword. So like he, he yeah. like swings it at her head like twice. Definitely. And it's his surprise possession. I can't remember the name of the sword. I want to say it's like, Joffrey had some pretty like sadistic names for his swords. One was Widow's Whale. Yeah. It's nothing, and nothing will ever one be Widow's wasn't, Whale. Though. I think it was just called like Golden Tooth or something like that. Mm, okay. Anything else you want to but say about this? But it was like this? it was a, a like a sword that was forged for him for his birthday, right. for his name day, rather. Like it was an important thing. Yeah. So it, it, I didn't love the whole that whole dynamic, like what happened there and how it played out. But I also, but I do enjoy the the scene that follows with them in the like in front of the king and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was a lot of fun. Like Joffrey, Joffrey's lying. Sansa is. You just you want her to say that you just want her to tell her the truth so bad. Just say the truth, please. Come, come on, come on. And all she has, all she's the best thing she has is I don't remember. It happened too fast. Like probably the worst, the worst excuse you could ever give is like when a cop asks you something that like, yeah. what happened, uh, what happened out there? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. Really, it was five minutes ago. You don't remember? No, I don't, I don't remember. Like, mm, okay. <laughs> hey, what are you gonna do? You don't remember. You don't remember. Right. It's, and that's the thing, like, you can't, you can't, until we can read people's minds, I guess, that'll, that'll always be something people will say. Um, so what's the, what's the final ruling? So Robert brings uh, Arya in front of the king, in front of him, uh, and he hears from Joffrey that, <laughs> what does he say? That they beat him with sticks and suck and, uh, and sick the wolf on him, right? Yeah, and he, he really does sell it. Like, obviously, he, uh, he's acting the petulant child, whatever, but he, he really sells it. And, you know, it sounds like that, like, kid that you just want to punch. Like, yeah. they picked on me and they threw my sword in the river. And, like, he's just, like, whining to his daddy, right. you know? And I wish we did neglect to say that Nymeria did jump in and save uh, Arya. By and the other thing Joffrey's we kind of glossed over, uh, when Arya has a sword, she, there's, like, a split second there where she has Joffrey's life in her hands. And she's, like... You can see, like, I think this season you'll notice, like, there's a certain Arya sort of enamored with the concept of death mm. when, she, when she when it's, you know, a part of her life. So she has his life and she's, like, really, like, thinking about it. And obviously she's not ready to to be that that person. Her, yet, she but. takes her first life in this season, which is pretty, um, right? She she kills that guy, in the, that boy in the street in the last oh, yeah, episode right, of the season. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, you obviously... You obviously understand, especially now knowing where where she goes, like what she goes through. Like you really see Arya for the woman she'll become later, um, even though she has this kind of annoying kid persona like grafted on top right now, right? Uh, so yeah, so the king decides that uh, you know just let's let bygones be bygones. Ned, you punish your kids. I'll punish mine, and it's fine. And he really does. He says it like kids are gonna fight. It's true. Kids are just gonna fight. That is just normal, right? Yeah. And that sounds like the the most fair ruling. Like you punish your kid, I'll punish mine. Yeah. We both, you know, let's handle it in right. house. And then Cersei jumps in with like, no, 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 no. I want vengeance, <laughs> right? Like, okay. Um, I think she 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 suggests like 
obviously they already killed the butcher's boy, so that already happens. But um, like taking out and killing Nymeria, and like obviously Nymeria is gone. Like, oh, we can't find him. Like, okay, so she's like, he, and then again, Rob's like, okay, well, I guess that's settled then. And he's like ready to like walk away. She's like, wait, 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 wait. What about another one? Like, let's. And then so then they start freaking out about Lady getting killed, which does suck. It is pretty in, in, insane how fast we lose one of the the direwolves. Episode mm-hmm. you get they arrive in episode one and they're one of them is dead by ep- the end of episode two. Um, it's not lady. Lady's good. Lady didn't deserve it. You don't know anything about lady. You don't know lady. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's a good dog. Sansa says it. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, how many? How many direwolves <laughs> left are left now? Is it just ghost? It, oh, and like it, ghost and seven. Ghost and Shaggy Dog. Is that it? And Nymeria, no, Shaggy Dog's dead. Nymeria, Nymeria. Nymeria and Ghost are still alive. Yeah, okay, and that's it. That's it, I believe. No, it's, it, what happened to Summer? No, yeah, Summer died, yeah. Summer died too. Rough death. Um, yeah, so that sucks. <sighs> it, it, so I guess I want to ask you this. This is the last thing before we wrap up. The episode ends with Ned saying, listen, I'll do it. I'll Let me kill the dog, right? And it's really sad, right? He, like, he comes and, like, pets his head and, like, plays with his ears and uh, her ears, I guess. And takes his knife out. And you hear the, you hear her die. But at the same time that he kills Lady, Bran uh, wakes up from his coma. Are we supposed to, you know, is it implied that by killing the dog, it brought him out of a coma? Or is it just a coincidence? Or just a cool I way think- to cut? <clears throat> Um, when I first watched it, I definitely did think that was the implication. I think knowing what we know now, it's more coincidental than not. Um, he does it's, have it's a more connection, symmetry. though, right? Sorry? He does have a connection, though, with the world. We know that, right? So Yes. And it, it, it's sort of like the whole, uh, you know, only death can pay for life thing. But mm-hmm. there's no other magic involved. Um, if there is magic there, then it's the magic of the old gods. It's not uh, – Yeah. no character was actively choosing that, yeah, yeah. including Bran. yeah. Okay, so you don't you yeah. think it's just a coincidence and it's just like a nice way to cut this cut the scenes together? I think it, it, it's 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 uh, mostly for symmetry. Mm-hmm. It just looks cool. Yeah, um, you can read it that way and you can think about the world that way because that becomes a theme later on. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that you should read too far into that. Yeah. All right, that's fair. Okay. Any final thoughts on this episode? I was going to say this week's episode, but it's not. I mean, it's this week's review, but it's not like this. It was from. Yeah. Quite some time ago. <laughs> I don't know. I think in the grand scheme of things, this episode is probably like kind of lost because there's so many other bigger episodes, but I really liked it. It's really rewarding to go back and like, like you said, the, 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 the conversation between Robert and Ned or also the conversation with uh, Catelyn, Maester Lewin, Roger mm-hmm. Castle, Robin, yeah. Theon, oh, and Theon and Godswood. I love that. Again, I'll just repeat that. I think that this, this episode in particular was a little uh, disjointed. I think there's some amazing moments. Obviously, the scene with um, Ned saying goodbye to John is is, is memorable, uh, and like you said, the the scene in on the King's Road is memorable. Um, the death of Lady, like these are things that that um, have stood the test of time as far as touchstones for the series, right? But I think that a lot of it is also kind of maybe even filler isn't the right word, but like some of it certainly feels that way. We talk about a lot of the scenes with Danny feel unearned. Like it just, 
there's moments here, but I think as a whole, it's not as it's not this it's not the show's strongest outing. I would say probably not. Another thing that kind of stuck out to me, though, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, the everything that happens at Winterfell. When you look at it now, it kind of is, is like teasing you and showing you that John is the main character. Although when you first watch it, you're not going to think about it that way because every so. scene in Winterfell is just John saying goodbye to a different family member. It's really following him around, right? Yeah, I mean until he leaves Winterfell, right? But that's true. That's a good point. Because, yeah, he's saying goodbye. He says goodbye to, to Ned. He says goodbye to Bran and Catelyn at the same and time. And Rob. And Rob and Jamie. <laughs> Technically Jamie, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Arya, of course. Uh, he, doesn't say anything, he doesn't say anything to Sansa. I guess she's already left, right? Yeah, so. they don't really have the best relationship. Yeah. and they. It, no, she hadn't left at that point. They just don't show him saying bye. <laughs> That and uh, I guess it's kind of clear later on once they run into like they meet up with each other again that they never really did have a great relationship. Yeah. Which is why that that whole like drama from last season about whether she was going to portray him or not kind of worked even though it wasn't really – we talked about that. It wasn't great because um, it felt like we were backtracking a lot. But you can buy it especially if you go back and watch this. Like they didn't really have a relationship. She doesn't, have, she doesn't really give a shit about John or at least – she didn't at that time, right? She cares. Yeah, she's think, just yeah. in her own world. Yeah. She cared. Like once she realized that like her family was the only thing that she could rely on, um, I think she kind of understood the value of John, especially like later on after she'd escaped. But at this time, she couldn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that uh, that will do it for another rewatch. We'll be back next week with uh, season one, episode three. I don't know the name off the top of my head. Do you remember it? I do. Um, oh, wait, Game of Thrones. I'm just going to Google it. Game of Thrones, yeah. season one, nice. episode three is Lord Snow. Lord Snow. Okay. Lord Snow. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. In the meantime, again, follow us on Twitter at Tower Babblecast. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tower Babblecast. If you have any thoughts about this week's episode, um, or any thoughts about Game of Thrones, feel free to send it to our email, towerofbabblepodcast at gmail.com. Go to our website, towerofbabble.ca, where you're going to find everything that we do, including some blog posts, our main show there, the Tower of Babble Podcast, our Westworld review stuff, and uh, all that fun stuff there. Okay. Other than that, we will talk to you guys next week. This week's Game of Thrones theme is a classical guitar cover by Beyond the Guitar. I found his music on YouTube. Plus, don't forget to head over to cruiseofthrones.com to reserve your spot. Mm-hmm.